You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Look in Psalm 23. We, on Wednesday nights, to orient you a bit, we are journeying through the Psalms, and for the most part, we're taking one Psalm per week. And we've made it to one of the most famous Psalms in the book of Psalms, Psalm uh, 23. Now, just kind of a little bit of information, too, just about Wednesday nights here at our church. Not only uh, do we have this Bible study in this room, uh, followed by some prayer time, um, but we have ministry for our uh, preschoolers. We have ministry for our children. Uh, they are uh, learning missions together, uh, learning about what God is doing around the world and, and uh, God's uh, Great Commission heart. And so I'm grateful for those that teach. As a matter of fact, this Sunday, our GAs, which are Girls in Action, they'll be stationed at the doors on your way out of worship, and they're collecting money. Uh, which will go to a church plant that we support in North Dakota. So it's called Christmas in August because, you know, Christmas times when we take up the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and it supports missions. Well, they're doing some missions uh, engagement in August. And you'll see those those uh, young ladies on your way out of worship. And so if the Lord leaves you to give, that you can give uh, through that offering. And it's just a blessing to a church planter and his wife and family uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in the North. So... Uh, be aware of that. Also, our youth meet on Wednesday nights. They meet for uh, worship, and uh, our numbers are going up, up, up. We're seeing some neat things happen, and we're excited uh, about that. So uh, lots of lots of good things coming. So praise the Lord for that. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I'm going to read it and then pray, and then we'll jump into our um, study of uh, the Psalms. Everybody okay tonight? Everybody good? Okay. It's fun preaching to full Baptists, right? All right. Good deal. All right. Psalm 23. A Psalm of David, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, uh, uh, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather as a faith family, uh, Lord, to fellowship uh, around the table. And to enjoy a great meal, we thank you, Lord, for your provision. Uh, Lord, also to fellowship around the bread of life, your word. And Lord, to be able to feast from your word, study your word, uh, think about how your word uh, impacts our lives, how it applies to our lives. And I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would bless this time and take the, the word of God and apply it to our hearts. And we'll thank you for that grace. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kendall easily reminds us that 
there is a major theme running through the book of Psalms. He says it like this, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. That's the major theme. If you're thinking about a theme that really connects all 150 Psalms, God is worthy of our trust, worthy of our confidence, no matter what we're going through in life. And John Piper uh, really connects with this idea that the Psalms um, deal, with the, deal with us at the emotional level. And he writes, the Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape, I like that phrase, shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important, and the Psalms uh, bear witness to this reality. And we made it to the 23rd Psalm, probably the best known Psalm, uh, certainly uh, one of my favorites. I love Psalm uh, 23. But I like what Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the late 1800s, uh, said about this Psalm. He says, this is the pearl of Psalms, the pearl of Psalms whose soft and pure radiance delights every eye. Of this delightful song, it may be affirmed that its piety and its poetry are equal. Its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. So Charles Spurgeon says it in the way only Charles Spurgeon can say it, but the point here is this is a powerful psalm, and it's, and it's beautifully written. The way the words are put together through the pen of David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is really something for us to behold. Derek Kidner picks up on the first line of this psalm when it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and Kidner writes this, in the word shepherd, everyone say shepherd. In the word shepherd, David uses the most comprehensive an intimate metaphor yet encountered in the Psalms, preferring usually the more distant king or deliverer or the impersonal metaphor rock, shield, whereas the shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to it, everything. It's guide, physician, and protector. And so uh, Kidner uh, helps us to understand this idea that this is an intimate metaphor because of the relationship that the, the shepherd has with the sheep. And what I want to do is I want to just kind of walk through this psalm, and I want to just highlight uh, seven blessings that come from the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Seven blessings that come from the Lord as our shepherd. And again, there's so much we could say about Psalm 23. We're just kind of skimming the surface, and I'm going to, you know, I'm probably going to talk kind of fast because there's a lot to cover. But, but these seven blessings from the shepherd are uh, such a um, such a powerful thing for us to, to 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 wrap our minds and our hearts around. And I think as you study this passage, you'll be able to you'll be able to resonate because a lot of these things you've experienced uh, in your relationship with God. And and for some of us in this room, we're going through something that's very current. We're going through something right now that's very difficult. And the the, the seven blessings from the shepherd will encourage and strengthen our faith in the, the here and now. So let's talk about the seven blessings. Blessing number one is provision. Provision. You know what provision is? It simply means our shepherd meets our needs. And look what it says there in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
So the shepherd, uh, the shepherd meets the needs of the sheep. The sheep uh, here, in, in this case, David, who experiences God as a shepherd, is saying, because he is my shepherd, I don't, I don't want for anything. Every need that I have is met by the Lord. Now, you understand, don't you, that when the Bible uses the metaphor of sheep, and applies it to us, it's not, it's not a flattering metaphor. You know, sheep aren't impressive animals. They're, they're, really, they're really not that bright. They need constant care. They need someone watching over them, else they'll get in all kinds of trouble. And uh, they, they are very, very needy animals, and they're prone to wander and go astray. And guess what the Bible, the Bible doesn't call us lions. The Bible calls us what? Sheep. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. You know, we, we, we're prone to act like sheep. And so it's not a flattering uh, metaphor, but it, it's comforting in the fact that since we are sheep, it's good to know that God will interact with us as a shepherd. And he will meet our needs. So James Montgomery Boyce says this about sheep. Left to themselves, sheep lack everything. They are the most helpless animals. But if we belong to the one who is self-sufficient, inexhaustible, utterly unchanged by time, we will lack nothing. He is sufficient. I like that word sufficient. Uh, I'm going to preach on that soon on Sunday morning. He is sufficient for all things and will provide for us. And David's saying, I've experienced it. He's my shepherd, and we, and there's there is some uh, scholarly discussion about at what point this psalm was written in David's life. Some people believe David wrote it when he was younger. Some people believe David wrote it when he was older and had walked through some things. Uh, and there's discussion on that, but the reality is David dealt with the realities of life. I mean, he went through some some very difficult times. He experienced some great mountaintops. But David understood what life was all about, and he understood what it meant to have God provide for his needs and want for nothing as he walked through this life. So the first blessing of the shepherd is provision. If, if the Lord is your shepherd, if you know him in that way, if you have that personal relationship with him, you can count on him for provision. And that means... When you have a need, he's the one you ought to go to, right? He's your ultimate source. And so uh, the, the shepherd provides for our needs. Uh, it's, you know, I could share many stories about how Claire and I have experienced direct, specific answers to prayer in the area of a need that we have. And, and we see God answer just a very you know, a specific need in a very specific way way. And, and, and we've seen God do that over and over again in our life. And if we pass the microphone around and you stood up and I said, tell me a time God met a need in your life, we'd be here all night. Because if you've been walking with God for any, for any length of time, you've experienced the Lord as your shepherd providing for your uh, needs. And, and by the way, we have all types of needs, right? We have financial needs. We have uh, 
physical needs. We have relational needs. Uh, we have uh, spiritual needs. We have needs in our church. We have needs in our family. We have needs in our community. There's these needs everywhere, right? And the Lord is our shepherd. The first blessing is provision. Number two, the second blessing from the shepherd is peace. Peace. He says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. So that, that imagery of a green pasture and the imagery of still waters speak of serenity, right? A, a, a serene place for the sheep to, uh, to rest, a, a place of rest and refreshment. That's the next blank, by the way. We need peace if we're going to experience rest and refreshment. Uh, we need that that peace, that that and peace, the, the, the biblical word peace, shalom, the Hebrew word peace, it doesn't just mean absence of conflict. Like if you're not fighting with someone, you're you have peace, right? Uh, and, and certainly we want that kind of peace in our lives where we're not in conflict with others. But the word peace carries with it a, even a, a larger idea of wholeness. It means that that there's a there's an overall uh wellness in your life. In every area of your life, you are well. And, and because of that, there's a serenity of mind, a serenity of thought. You're able to lie down in green pastures and uh, be led by still waters. Now, w- one of our church members came up to me and uh, told me she was reading a great book about Psalm 23. And I said, I'm, I'm glad you're reading it because I'm going to quote it a lot tonight. And I want to give you the name of the book. And if you haven't read it, it's a Christian classic. It's worth the read. It's very, very insightful. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And the, the author is Philip Keller. Uh, he's a pastor and, and a writer. But for eight years, Philip Keller actually served as... A, anybody's ever been a real shepherd in here? We got shepherds in here. Uh, it's, not, it's not an occupation that, that we're really familiar with in today's time. But Philip Keller, J. Philip Keller, he was actually a shepherd. Like he did this job, like dealing with real sheep. And so when he's a, you know, a pastor, he comes to Psalm 23, he's reading about the Lord being our shepherd. He started to think about insights from his occupation as shepherd and, and applied those insights to this text. And it's really insightful to hear how a shepherd actually looks at Psalm 23. And he makes the observation in the book, and I didn't know this because I've never shepherded sheep, but he makes the observation that sheep do not lie down easily, okay? For sheep to lie down and rest, everything has to be perfect. Conditions have to be just right. Keller writes this, it is almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. He says, owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. They've got to be getting along with other sheep, I guess. If tormented by fleas or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. So here's what he writes. Fear, friction, flies, and famine. If any of those are true in a sheep's life, he's not going to lay down or she's not going to lay down. He, d- he won't rest when, when they're agitated by these sorts of experiences. They must be free of these things in order to be contented. And so Keller makes the point that a shepherd can step into a sheep situation 
And if the sheep will trust the shepherd, he can help them deal with their fear. I'm watching over you. You don't have to be afraid. I'm here with you. And takes away the idea of fear. If uh, a sheep is dealing with friction, the shepherd can intervene and separate the the sheep that aren't getting along, get them apart from each other, and, and there's no more friction or conflict, so they can lie down and rest. Or if there's famine, the, the shepherd makes sure, hey, I, you, there's, a, there's a lack of food over here. I'm going to lead you over here so you have something to eat, so you can have a, a full belly. As, like my kids, if they don't eat at night, they just can't go to bed. They got to have something to eat. It's like, it's like an emergency. Like, I've, you know, I've been eating all day, but I must have, you know, Oreos or I can not go to sleep. Apparently the same with sheep, right? And he said, I'll lead you over here and, and you can eat over here and have a full, uh, a, a full, uh, belly. Or if you have flies, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. The, the shepherd can anoint with oil and, and keep the flies away. And so the shepherd steps into the, the chaotic um, agitations of a sheep and deals with them all so that the sheep is now whole and can lay down with peace and can rest and be refreshed. I thought that was an interesting insight into how uh, sheep need peace. So let me ask you a question. What's agitating you right now? What, what's, what's rotten? Don't, don't point at anybody, please. We're not doing that tonight. All right? don't, please don't do that. I wasn't asking that kind of question. What's going on in your life that is robbing you of peace? Now listen, whatever that issue is, it could be it could be anything. It could it goes back to the the need thing. It could be relational, it could be financial, it could be uh, on the job, it could be health related, you know, it, whatever. What what's it could be the this current uh, cultural climate. It could be what's going on in the world. It, but what's what's robbing you of peace? And whatever that issue is or those issues are, this verse tells us if you let the shepherd step into the middle of it, he'll deal with it so you can lay down and rest, right? So whatever it is that's agitating you, give it to the shepherd. Peter says it like this over 1 Peter 5, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. He will give you that peace, that wholeness you need to, to rest, realizing, you know what? This thing was bothering me, but it's in God's hands now. And God is sovereign, and I can lay down and rest knowing that God is in control. I think a lot of times we hold on to our agitations and don't give them to the Lord, and we wonder why there's no peace, right? The peace that Philippians 4 says, surpasses all understanding. When, you, when you're anxious, Philippians 4, pray with thanksgiving, make it a supplication, and he'll replace your anxiety with a peace that surpasses all comprehension. And so the shepherd gives peace. The shepherd helps you to rest and be refreshed. And by the way, this is important, you're not Superman or Superwoman. You need to rest and be refreshed. There is a such thing as physical, spiritual, emotional burnout. Can I get a witness? 
And, and you've got to learn to build into the rhythm of your life rest. That's why we have the Sabbath. That you can build into the rhythm of your life the idea that, you know what, I need to lay down and leave it in God's hands and I need to rest and be refreshed and recharged so I can be who God's called me to be. So number two is peace. Number three, third blessing of the shepherd is pardon. Pardon. This is maybe my favorite insight in this psalm. I love verse three. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Then look what it says. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When we stumble and fall, and we all do, our shepherd loves to cleanse us, renew us, and redeploy us. When we stumble and fall, our shepherd loves to cleanse us, renew us, and redeploy us. When I first read the book by Keller, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, this is the insight that stuck with me through the years. It's such, a, it's such vivid imagery. Uh, Keller read this psalm and he says, that reminds me of something I had to watch out for as a shepherd. He says, he says, shepherd can find themselves, in a, I mean, sheep can find themselves in a precarious situation. And he calls it a, a cast sheep. Here's what that means. Again, sheep are not impressive animals. They're, in fact, they're kind of clumsy. A sheep could stumble and fall, maybe in a hole or a depression, and they could actually roll over on their back and their center of gravity would shift and they're actually unable to get back on their feet. They're actually laying, they a sheep laying on the ground with his feet in the air. Now that sounds kind of humorous, right? But what happens is if that sheep lays there long enough, gases in their body build up and they die. So one of the jobs of the shepherd is he's scanning the flock. And he's saying, are there any cast sheep? Is there any sheep out there with their feet up in the air? And, and, and here's what the shepherd would do. Now watch this. The shepherd would see a cast sheep. He would go, pick them up, put them back on their feet, dust them off, and get them going in the right direction. And Keller says that's what it means when the Bible says the shepherd restores our soul. When we stumble and fall, when we blow it, when we mess up, and we find ourselves, spiritually speaking, on our back with our feet in the air, right? Unable to fix it ourselves. Unable to get back on our feet. The shepherd, our Lord, specializes in drawing near and picking us up and putting us back on our feet, dusting us off, and like it says in the next part of verse uh, three, leading us in paths of righteousness, getting us back on the right path. That is the restoring work of the Lord. And I'm so grateful for that in my own life, aren't you? Because there have been some times as a believer in Jesus where I've just blown it, right? I've just blown it. I've, I've not done something God's told me to do. Or I've done something God's told me not to do. And I find I've met, made a mess of things and I'm experiencing consequences and, 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 and the, 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 the results of my poor decisions. And it's like, I can't fix it myself. And I need someone, namely the someone to come and pick me up and put me back on my feet. And listen, he specializes in that. He's looking 
He's looking for the wounded sheep or the sheep that's in trouble so he can come and get you back on your feet. Now, here's a, a great biblical example of what this looks like. Remember Peter? Chosen to be a disciple, an apostle. Uh, he was, uh, by all accounts, a leader among the disciples. He was always the first one to speak out. He was brave. He told Jesus, we'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. But when the rubber met the road, on the night when Jesus was arrested, Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, Three times, the third time with an oath, he denied his Lord. He denied any association with Christ. And the Bible says, it's interesting over in Luke, Luke's account of this story, that the third time he denied Jesus, he was in the courtyard of, of the household of Caiaphas where they were holding Jesus for, the, for part of the trial. Jesus, it says, looked at, at Peter and their eyes met. Can you imagine? Denying Jesus not once, not twice, three times, and you look into the eyes of the King of Kings. No wonder the Bible says that he went out and wept bitterly. Undoubtedly, Peter was thinking things like, I'm done. I'm done with the whole leadership thing, the whole discipleship thing. I'm going to go back and, and figure out my fishing business again and, and get involved. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, you know, God's done with me. I denied Jesus three times. You can imagine the brokenness, the guilt, the shame. He couldn't fix it, right? You can't go back and undeny if you've denied. You can't fix it. And, he, and he's dealing with the, the consequences of that. He was like a sheep laying on his back, unable to get back on his feet. And then we get to John 21. Oh, I love John 21. They're out fishing. I think Peter's going back to his occupation. He's, I'm done with the whole preaching thing. This is, you know, I'm, listen, I'm going back to fish. And uh, they, they learn through the, you got to read the story. They learn that it's Jesus on the shore and, and, and risen from the dead. And Peter jumps in the water and swims back to the shore. And Jesus is cooking fish. Uh, and, and they have breakfast together. I've actually been to that spot in Israel uh, where they think this actually happened. And there's some clues in the text. They can, they can locate this uh, spot pretty precisely around the Sea of Galilee. And it was very moving to me because you're there and the Sea of Galilee's right there and you see the kind of the rocky shore and you can visualize, you can visualize Peter there with Jesus having denied him three times. And what does Jesus do? He restores him. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. In other words, Peter, I've got something for you to do. Follow me, get back in the game. Paths of righteousness. But Jesus picked up Peter, dusted him off, put him back on his feet, and oh, how Peter was used in the book of Acts. Amen? Acts chapter uh, 2, day of Pentecost. Peter preaches, uh, chapter 3. 3,000 people get saved. That's a pretty good day. Amen? 3,000 people get saved. God was not done with Peter yet. And listen, when you stumble and fall, God's not done with you yet. Let him come as your shepherd and pick you up and put you back on your feet. 
and then let him point you in the path of righteousness. Go the right direction. When we stumble and fall, our shepherd loves to cleanse us, renew us, and redeploy us. Man, I'm so grateful for the pardon of the shepherd. I got to speed up. Number four, petition. Fourth blessing of the shepherd, petition. And this is an interesting insight, and, and it's not uh, it's not directly uh, mentioned here. It's just an observation as you see the text unfold. And I think this is a really, really powerful insight. Notice in verses 1 through 3, David is talking about God. Lord is my shepherd. He makes me light angry power. He restores my soul, leads me in paths of right. He's talking about God. But something interesting happens in verse 4. He's no longer talking about God. Look what it says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. In verse 4, he begins to talk to God. And so the implication there is this. If the Lord is your shepherd, the awesome privilege of prayer is available to you, available to me, available to us. The fact that the Lord is our shepherd means we can talk to him. We'll talk about valleys in a minute. But isn't it interesting that in the midst of the valley, the, the sheep, David, says, I can talk to God. I can go directly to him in prayer and, and petition. We should never take for granted the awesome privilege of prayer available to us. We can go into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, anytime we want, stay as long as we want because of the finished work of Christ who shed his blood and wash away our sins so we could have access to God. And so, petition. We have this privilege of prayer. We can actually talk to um, the shepherd. I hope you do that. I hope you talk, I hope you talk to the shepherd. I hope you, I hope you have... That, that quality of, 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 of spiritual life that you spend time talking to the shepherd who loves you as much as this shepherd loves you and cares as much for you as this shepherd cares for you and watches over you the way that this shepherd watches over you. The old hymn, no one ever cared for me like Jesus, right? No one ever cared for me like, no, one, no one's ever cared more about you than Jesus does. And oh, how we ought to talk to him. Go to him with our issues. Go to him with our concerns. Go to him with our, with our, uh, our agitate. Go to him. Go to him. Go to him. It's one of the great blessings of salvation. If you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can go directly to God and talk to him. That is good, good news. Petition. Number five, fifth blessing of the shepherd is presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. -E. Just making sure we got that one right, right? We were talking about provision. Not gifts, but provision. But presence, look what it says in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So uh, David here is... is grateful that he can count on God's presence no matter what he is going through in life. Now listen, this is in your notes, and I think this would be an easy amen for you, okay? Life is full of valleys. Have you discovered that yet? Life, if stay in it, life is 
Life is full of valleys. And and the the metaphor of the valley here is is going through something difficult. It's what it's this was speaking, going through something hard, something difficult. And and life is full of valleys. And beyond that, and this goes back to verse four, we must all face the ultimate valley of death. He's talking about a specific valley here, right? Even though I walk, he's trying to think of the kind of like worst case scenario valley. <laughs> Even though I walk through the valley of uh, financial hardship, no, that's not strong enough. Even though I walk through the valley of, uh, you know, relational conflict, no, that's not strong enough. Even though I walk through the valley, oh, of the shadow of death. And, and here's the reality for all of us in this room. We've all got to walk through this valley, Right? We've all got to deal with the valley of the shadow of death. The statistics are true. One out of one die. And just to bless you tonight, and you're happy because you've had Mexican food, but just, just to bless you tonight, you're one day closer to death than you were yesterday. Right? That's just the reality. One out of one die. And some of you say, well, I, the rapture is going to come and I won't have to die. That may be true. And it, I hope that happens. Like if I'm cheering, for, if I'm pulling, I'm pulling for the rapture, right? That I don't have to face death. Um, but even if, you, even if you're raptured away, you still have faced death of loved ones on this earth, haven't you? And you've gone through the pain of, of what death does to a relationship, to a family, to a friend. We, we, we all have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and what's, what's the main issue with valley? What, why are valleys such a big deal? Why, why is it being addressed here in Psalm 23 verse 4? The issue with valleys or the main problem with valleys is fear. Notice what he says. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I'm in a valley, even the, 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 the darkest valley I can think of, the valley of death, I will not fear. I will not fear. And so one of the blessings of the shepherd is that he deals with our fear. Now, how does he deal with our fear? Look what it says there in the next verse. You know, the next part of the verse. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You're with me. You're with your presence. And I know you're with me because you're rod and your staff. They comfort me. You know, rod and staff was used by a shepherd to... Uh, beat back enemies, threats to the sheep. It was used to correct the sheep if they were getting out of line and to maybe gently nudge them to get back on the right path or whatever. It was a tool that the shepherd used to take care of the sheep. And and David's saying here, I know you're present in my life because you won't leave me alone. You're constantly working. You're you're nudging me this way and nudging me and, and you're helping me with this and helping me with that and and getting my attention over here and 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 helping me over there. And and I know that you are with me presence. The main problem with valleys is fear. We combat fear in the valleys with a constant awareness of his presence. I want to say something, and this is a, a, a biblical statement, and it's a strong statement, but you need to hear it. And there might be some here tonight, and you particularly need to hear it. In fact, God may have brought you here tonight to hear this next statement. You ready? God does not want you to live in fear. God does not want his sheep to live in fear. Fear paralyzes. Fear 
makes you anxious. Fear brings depression. Fear keeps you from moving forward. Fear keeps you from serving God. God does not want you to live in fear. Over in 2 Timothy, it even says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. God does not want you to live in fear. And the way that he wants you to combat fear in your life, and we all deal with it in some way, shape, or form, the way he wants you to combat fear is by remembering that no matter what valley you're going through, he's there with you. That's how he wants you to deal with fear. Remember his presence. And sometimes you get to talk to yourself. All right? Pastor Wade's giving you permission to talk to yourself. And you got to tell yourself, this is hard. This is a valley. I don't like it. It's dark. It's scary. I don't know when it's going to end. But God, I know you're with me. God, I'm counting on your presence in this moment. By faith, I know your, I may not even feel your presence, but I know by faith, on the authority of scripture, you are with me. You are my shepherd. We combat fear in the valleys with a constant awareness of his presence. I remember when I was a a teenager, uh, we got to, um, one of the first times my parents left me alone. I was old enough now, you know, to be by myself. I was driving and, and uh, my, my parents went out of town to go, I don't know where they were partying. I don't know what they were doing. They went up somewhere to go have fun and uh, they didn't take me with them. And so um, I was there at the house and I was by myself and, and I grew up in the woods. Like I was, I was like 10 miles out of town, uh, down a dirt road. I had to, you had to cross a cattle gap to get to my house, okay? That's, that's not an exaggeration. And just by the way, for your information, Claire lived 10, 10, year, uh, Claire lived 10 miles farther than I did away from town. So she's a country girl, yeah. Um, anyway, um, don't tell her I said that. So, um, so, I was, so we're, I'm in the middle of the woods, you know, and it's first night by myself. And I, and I won't tell you the movie because I'm ashamed to tell you what movie it was, but I watched a scary movie. And I knew better, and it was it was a twisted movie. It was about murder and serial killer, and it was bad. It was really bad. And uh, and I was probably watching because my parents weren't home. But anyway, um, don't leave your kids by themselves. That's what I'm, that's the point of this story. Don't do it. All right, no matter how responsible they seem. Okay, but my parents did it, and so I, I watched this scary movie, and and I went to bed. No one's in the house. And, and I, I started hearing noises. And when you lay out in the woods, there's noises, right? And, and you know, and it, I was scared. Like, I was scared. And so we had this dog named Guido. And, uh, and Guido's this big white English bulldog. And Guido was not allowed in my room. But that night, Guido slept in my room, all right? I went and got Guido. And uh, he laid right there by me. And uh, something about Guido being in the room helped me to make it through the night, right? Listen to me, listen to me. There's, there's never a time, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, there's never a time where it's so dark that the Lord is not with you. He's with you and he wants you to maintain that awareness of his presence and that pushes back fear. All right, real quick, number six, protection. Six, blessing of the, of the shepherd, protection. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You don't want my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, some 
um, commentators believe that the metaphor shifts here, and it shifts from shepherd and sheep to a host, uh, hosting someone and preparing a table uh, for them. Philip, J. Philip Keller, the shepherd who wrote a Psalm, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, thinks this is still the sheep metaphor because he says there are some, some parallels to the way that, that shepherds um, treat their sheep. And, and the, the idea of table there, it could be just a place where the food is laid. It doesn't, it doesn't mean like a dining room table. It just means where the place where the food is served. And so some believe it's the, a picture of a host hosting guests. Some believe it's still a shepherd taking care of his sheep. Uh, we'll figure all that out when we get to heaven. Um, but there's some, some, some significant things said here about how the Lord watches over us and protects us. It says, you prepare a table before me. That's provision. You, you meet my needs in the presence of my enemies. Even when I'm surrounded by people that want to harm me, you're still meeting my needs. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. If this is the shepherd metaphor carried through, this means that the shepherd anoints the sheep to keep flies away and to, or to bring healing to a wound on the sheep's head. Or it could speak of a host um, anointing uh, their guests with a with a, a fragrant oil, uh, uh, you know that that smells nice when they get there, when they arrive. Anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows. You're giving me everything I need and more. You're 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 tending to my needs even as I'm surrounded by enemies. So the metaphor shifts in verse five to a host and his guests. If you hold to that view, but but here's what it means for you and for me. What here's what it means that the Lord prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Our, and this is a, I'm telling you, this is a good statement. Our enemies are powerless to stop the Lord's blessing in our lives. And our enemies are powerless to stop the Lord's work in our lives. Isn't that good? In other words, we have people that are enemies. We have, I mean, all of us have you know, real life enemies out there. I think Christians, just by virtue of the fact that we're following Jesus in a decaying culture, there are people opposed to our views, our values, the the, the Bible that we teach from and and uh, study. There, there's opposition in our culture because we follow the way of the book, and and so there are enemies in that realm. And sometimes we have even in our own individual lives, we have we come to conflict with folks. There, sometimes we just. Some, sometimes two people are like water and oil, right? They just, for whatever reason, or maybe there's some deep-seated hurt. Someone has mistreated you or, or wants to mistreat you or, or harm you, and, and we have enemies. And, 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 and beyond all of that, I'll remind you what we talked about for weeks in Ephesians chapter 6, Satan wants to destroy you, right? So we, we have enemies. And this verse reminds us that nothing and no one can stop God's blessing in your life. If God wants to bless you, he's going to bless you. If God wants to work in your life, he's going to work in your life. You don't have to fear enemies. God is in control. In fact, it speaks to this over in Psalm 89, verses 20 through 23. Listen to what the Lord says. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil, I've anointed him, put him into a position of service as king so that my hand will, shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy, listen, shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. It's, it's exactly what Paul's saying over in Romans chapter 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Now, the question is, do we believe that? When we feel threatened, when we feel harassed, when we feel enmity, and con- do we really believe that God is for us? And do we really believe that's enough in this life? If God is for us, who can be against us? Derek Kidner, Old Testament scholar, says this, it is one thing to survive a threat, as in verse 4, valley shadow of death, quite another to turn it into triumph. Every detail here is in that key. From the well-set table to the festive oil, the brimming cup, the picture may be one of cool assurance under pressure, a witness, listen, to indefinite resources in the worst of situations. I like that. When you find yourself backed against a wall, God is a God of indefinite and infinite resources, and he is for you. And you need to remember that when you find yourself in moments of pressure. But we make it to number seven, and oh goodness, we could do a whole night on on verse six. But this is the, the seventh blessing of the shepherd. Provision, peace, pardon, petition, presence, protection, promises. Look in verse six. I love how this psalm ends. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see in this verse, verse 6, the promise of abundant life and the promise of eternal life. And both come from the shepherd. So look what he says in verse 6. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The the time he gives me on this earth, because he's my shepherd, he will pour out upon me goodness and mercy. And that word there, follow, in in the original Hebrew language, it's, it's better translated pursue. So you can say it like this. Goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Another country boy story. I'm, I'm just kind of putting all my cards on the table tonight, okay? But I remember, again, I was a little boy. My dad went to Alabama. Can I get a witness for you Alabama folks in here? His, sorry. It's almost football season. I just want to give you your moment. But anyway, um, my dad went to Alabama. And he came back with a red bone puppy. Now, these are, these are dogs used for coon hunting. All right? We haven't even, don't raise your hand. All right. Um, and his name was Slammer. And uh, yeah, yeah, so his name was Slammer. And I remember, I was a little guy, and dad would take me out at night, middle of the night. Again, I don't know how wise this was, but this is what my parents did. Um, and, they, and my dad would take me out into the middle of the night, and probably a school night, and we'd go out in the middle of the night, and, uh, and we'd listen, and he'd send the dogs out, and they would find the trail of a raccoon, and they would begin to bark. And those, those dogs, when they got the scent, they were relentless. There's no stopping them until they got to where they actually treed the raccoon. And so I, I remember, you, you, middle of the night, be cold, you roo, 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 be chasing that raccoon. And, and listen, that's the idea of this word, that, that God pursues you when you're his sheep with goodness and mercy. Isn't that awesome? God's pursuing you. Uh, in fact, Spurgeon used to call the Lord the hound of heaven. He pursues us. He pursues us here with, with goodness and mercy. And we could talk a lot about goodness and mercy and the realities of our life. But, but Jesus said it like this in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Listen to me. Jesus, oh, this is good. Jesus is not just a ticket to heaven. 
He died on the cross and rose from the dead so you could be forgiven and you could be given eternal life and go to heaven when you die. Praise the Lord for that. But he's so much more than that. He came not only to give you eternal life, he came to give you abundant life in the here and now. Secondly, eternal life, he says there in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And when that comes to an end, and it will for all of us, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a poetic way to speak of heaven, the presence of God. We get to go there and be with him forever. I, I don't think you and I can even begin to to think deeply enough about eternity in heaven. I mean, we can think about it, and we can sing about it, and we can rejoice in it, we can praise the Lord for it, and we can look forward to it, but we can't even, we can't even begin to fathom how incredible heaven's going to be. It, it's, it's maximum, listen, maximum fulfillment of joy in the presence of Jesus, and it never ends. An, an intensity of joy that never comes to conclusion. Think about that. Heaven, that's what he's talking about here. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, as the old hymn says it. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. But let me do this. Let me give you a closing thought, and we'll be through. There in verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. In this psalm, David is rejoicing that he has a personal relationship with God. In fact, he uses the covenant name of God, capital L, capital R, O, capital R, capital D. That's the name of God, the translation of the name of God. Some of us pronounce Yahweh, the Latin is Jehovah, but it's the name of God, how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. And he uses the, the name of God. He's speaking of a personal relationship. He's rejoicing in that relationship. Hey, I know God personally. He's my shepherd. I'm his sheep. And here's what I want you to know. This kind of relationship where God is providing for you, God is giving you peace. God is picking you up and putting you back on your feet. God is, God is with you through every valley. God is, God is protecting you from enemies. God is pursuing you with goodness and mercy. That's available to you. And it's available to anyone that places their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because over in John chapter 10, Jesus said this. And when he said these, th this statement, the people listening knew exactly what he was talking about. In John 10, Jesus said, I am, that's ego I me, that's a, a, a pointer to the divine name of God. So use the I am phrase, that got their attention. I am, then he says, the good shepherd. Oh, you read about, hey, remember Psalm 23? They, they all were thinking about the good shepherd. They were all thinking about Psalm 23. The Hebrews knew Psalm 23. Remember all those promises and those blessings? I'm, the, I'm him, I'm the shepherd. If you'll believe in me, then Psalm 23 can be a reality in your life. That's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 10. So a relationship with God, I want you to hear me, is only possible through Jesus Christ. You'll never know the Lord as your shepherd if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's as clear as I can say it. And, and Jesus said that. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through 
me. Read you one more quote and we'll be done and Pastor Jeff will come and pray us out. And I know I went long tonight, but I just can't help it. And it's Psalm 23, right? There's a a lot here. But listen to this last quote. Charles Spurgeon says this. The position of this psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiar, peculiarly the psalm of the cross. There, Listen, he says, there are no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of the 22nd psalm. It is only after we have read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that we come to the Lord as my shepherd. We must by experience know the value of the, the blood shedding, the shed blood of Christ. And see the sword awaken against the shepherd. He took our punishment for us. Before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. In other words, if you want to know the Lord is your shepherd, you've got to go by the cross. You've got to embrace the cross. Because it's only through the cross that your sins are forgiven. And you're brought into relationship with God. And he treats you as a shepherd treats his sheep. And so the question is, do you know Jesus? If, if you were to die right now, do you know that you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Do you have that assurance? And if you're here tonight, you say, Pastor Wade, I really don't have that assurance that I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know that I have this relationship with God that you're speaking of where I experience him as my shepherd. Well, listen, come talk to me. Come talk to me tonight. Come grab me. Grab someone else around you maybe and say, I need to talk to somebody and they'll get you to where you need to go. And we'll talk to you further about that. But but if you need to be saved, why don't you give your life to Jesus tonight? He loves you. He wants to be your shepherd. Amen? Give your life to him. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.